Welcome to week two of our summer series called Road Trip. And today our sermon is called Excess Baggage, and we've all got it. Now, this is not about weight loss, um, even though I know for some of us that would be, for me, that would be a really good thing. But this is about the baggage all of us carry around. How many have ever thought you traveled with too little stuff? Anybody ever said, I don't have enough? Then we pick up baggage as we go. One of those great inventions are those expandable suitcases. The real art is to leave with the zipper closed and then to come back with it open for all the extra stuff you picked up. So not only do we have baggage, we pick up baggage, and that's true in our life. We all come into this journey with Christ, and we are new creations, but we bring a lot of stuff with us into that life. Uh, The Bible talks about us being justified when we come to Christ. Our sins have been forgiven. We have been positionally placed as righteous before God. We are his child. But in reality, we're very much a work in progress. And so part of that process is losing all the stuff that we brought with us so that we become more like Jesus. I want you to look with me at Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2. I want to be inspired by the before and after picture that Paul paints for the believers at Ephesus, who they were before they started this journey with Jesus and what they have become or are to aspire to become. Ephesians chapter 2, I'm going to begin reading at verse 1. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of the world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature objects of wrath. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. For it is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It's the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast, For we are God's workmanship, created now in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. It's this great before and after picture. We were at one time under judgment, and we lived according to a pattern that was the best we could do with our broken sin nature and and living our lives not God-centered, but us-centered, me-centered, We have been changed. We are new creations in Christ. That's a total gift of God. He created us to do good works now. Our life is to transition into a different kind of journey. And the whole book of Ephesians actually is about what that new journey should look like. I want you to picture we're new creations with a new life. We've entered into life everlasting. We're citizens of the kingdom. We're on this incredible journey of transformation. God has a new purpose for you. Picture yourself entering into that life, carrying all this baggage. Just picture yourself overloaded with baggage. You've been recreated into this spiritual thoroughbred, and yet you're held back because you haven't lost all that old stuff. God wants to help you get rid of that. 
Hebrews chapter 12 talks about it. Since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us, in fact, I think I've got a slide for it up here. Let's say together. Let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked for us. A couple of important points. One, there's a race marked for us. There's a journey that God has called us to in Christ. We're on that journey. We are to run it. That word endurance is not just surviving. It's thriving. It's a picture of running and getting stronger as I go. That's what God's called us to, but we've got stuff that holds us back. Stuff that hinders, sin that entangles, and it keeps us from running, and our job is to lay it aside. So we're gonna take that idea of everything that hinders as our working point today and talk about five things that hinder us in our spiritual journey. Now, I could list a thousand things, don't you think? But it's the ones that are on my heart to share with you today. So we're going to list five things that hinder our spiritual journey. And the first is guilt. It's guilt. Many of us have come into our relationship with Christ, receiving his forgiveness, but yet we still live with a great sense of guilt about our past, Several weeks ago, uh, when we were talking about the forgiveness of sins on our study through the creed, I mentioned Pilgrim's Progress. Paul, uh, John Bunyan starts his, Paul Bunyan, that's a different guy altogether. (laughs) John Bunyan starts his narrative by saying, I had a dream, and in that dream I saw a man, and he was reading a book, and he was weighed down by a great burden. We come to know him as Christian, and he carries that burden, which is the weight of, of his sin, the weight of his moral responsibility before God, he carries that burden for quite a length of his journey until he comes to the cross and it says the burden fell. But at one point in time, someone asks him, when did you first acquire this burden? And his answer is very interesting. He said, when I began reading this book. Now the book is the Bible. And what he's saying is, I began feeling this burden, this responsibility of my sin when I began reading the Word of God. I grew up being told that everybody that doesn't know Jesus inside is really miserable. Whether they admitted it or not, they were just really sad. I don't think that's true. I think there's a lot of people that are oblivious, going through life, doing the best they can, finding joy in the things they can, and they are unaware that there's a weight, that there's a responsibility And what begins a person's journey towards finding grace, finding Christ, is that work of the Holy Spirit, and it's most often through the Word of God, but it's not always through that, that we become aware of what's missing in our lives. We realize God's missing, and then we find the source, and it's a burden that we're carrying, and that's that's what happened with Christian. Now, that, from a biblical perspective, is called conviction, And we confuse, even once we're in Christ, we confuse conviction and guilt. And so I'm going to take the opportunity again to help us understand the difference between guilt and conviction. Because conviction has as its goal life. Conviction is a gift and work of God. Guilt is the work of Satan. Its goal is our destruction and our defeat. And often we confuse the two. We confuse mindfulness of our sin 
as guilt and we feel beaten down and defeated. That's not God's goal. Conviction comes out of love. Its motivation is love for us. Guilt's motivation is hate. Conviction's desire is that in being made mindful of our responsibility, we can achieve the life that God called us to and the relationship with him that he created us for. Guilt is designed to help us believe that God is no one to be messed with or no one even worth messing with and to drive a wedge between us and God. And the end result, therefore, is eternal death. In Christian story in Pilgrim's Progress, what we recognize he's experiencing is conviction. And ultimately, that conviction moves him to the cross where he receives grace, and his burden falls never to be found again. That's what we're supposed to experience. But many of us come to Christ, and we've experienced his forgiveness, and he's freed us from the failures of our past. And let's admit, some of those failures were pretty bad. We know, many of us, the depth of sin from which God saves us. And he who the Son sets free is free utterly, free indeed. That's so powerful. But what we do is begin listening to the lies of our spiritual enemy. He wants to bring guilt back into our lives. And when we go back and we hold back onto those things, when we refuse to administer to ourselves the very grace that God has administered to us, We are holding on to things in the past that are keeping us from running with endurance the race marked out for us. You see, God's forgiven you. You can't quite get to the point where you're willing to forgive yourself. And so what's keeping you from going forward isn't your position with Christ. It's your own inability to offer grace to yourself. Let's look at Romans 8.1, this beautiful verse right in the middle of the book of Romans after Paul lays this case for the gospel and, and how we are utterly and completely redeemed by the work of the cross. He says, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. At the end of our study on forgiveness of sin before we came into communion, do you remember we shouted that? We chanted it like this great victory that was ours, no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. It's worth shouting about. It's worth celebrating. But it has to work its way into our spirit. You have to really believe it. You see, guilt keeps you, listen to me, from agreeing with Jesus about who you are. This is about joining Christ in his view of you. He sees you as forgiven. He has separated your past as far from you as the east is from the west. He doesn't count that, and he will never again, ever count it against you. And so when you keep holding that against yourself, you're saying, I'm not in agreement with Jesus himself, with God himself about who I am. This is about entering into agreement with the cross and what it meant. There is no condemnation in Christ Jesus. I'm going to pause right here before we move on. I'm going to ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes. I feel prompted by God here to do this. I feel like... In a room this size, there are those here that know exactly the sin that is holding you. You know the regret. And you know that it's a barrier in some way to your experiencing full freedom in Christ. I just want you in your heart to take a moment and fully focus on it. 
focus on that sin or, or the sins that you think back on with regret. And here's the deal. This moment is going to be the last time with God's grace you ever focus on that sin again, on that failure. Because it's time to agree with Christ about who you are. So just focus on that. And then hear Jesus speak to you as he did with the woman caught in adultery. (laughs) I don't condemn you. I don't condemn you. You can leave this place and you can sin no more. Leave that behind you. Can you do that? Can you say in your spirit, in fact, if you feel so moved, would you say out loud right now, I agree with Jesus about who I am. Can you say it? I agree. I am a forgiven child of God. I let go of this because Christ has forgiven me. I'll forgive myself. Lord, I think that's why a few people here came today, that you had them here to focus on what's been holding them back. And I pray that they would feel and understand the great grace of God and the unconditional love and hear your words as theirs. I do not condemn you. I do not condemn you. There is no condemnation in Christ Jesus. The law of life in Christ Jesus has set them free from the law of sin and death. Amen. Second hindrance that often gets in the way of our spiritual journey aren't the sins that we commit, but are the sins that other people commit of which we're victims. So we're going to call them our scars. We all have them. Sometimes it's uh, scars that go way back, way back to when we were children. And we're only now as adults looking back and understanding not only the depth of the betrayal we experienced then, but it's lifelong impact on us. Some of us, it's more recent. Scars are from most often people, (laughs) and unfortunately, most often those that we love and care about the most, because we do, we fail each other. In my own family, I would tell you, I have probably been one of the sources of my children's and my wife's greatest hurts. Wish that wasn't the case. But because of the level of love that we have and the commitment we have for one another, when we act badly, when I act badly, that hurt, that sense of betrayal is that much greater. You know, you pick your spouse, but then really you're married to a person that's going to be four different people by the time it's done. You change. And so, you know, 20 years later you, you go, well, this, this is sort of the person I picked, but <laughs> it's not quite the same. Sometimes it's better. Sometimes it's not. So if we're going to stay in a lifelong marriage, which God calls us to and we're committed to, we're going to hurt each other. There are going to be times we'd say, I wouldn't choose to be with you in this room right now. And kids, you have it the worst because you didn't get to pick anybody in your family. (laughs) You didn't pick your mom, your dad, or your siblings. When you pick your friends, you can, like, let your friends come and go. But in families, family's family. You know, there's a bond even when you pretend it's not there. There are some of you in this room that haven't spoken to a sibling in years. In your heart, you know something's wrong with that. We have scars. For some of us, it's huge tragedies, great disappointments, the loss of of things that were very important to us. Scars come in all sorts of ways, and they can keep us from experiencing wholeness in Christ. 
It's a difficult thing to deal with, but what we are supposed to do is to free ourselves from those scars. We cannot run freely in grace if we are not also a conduit of grace. Now listen to that again. You cannot run freely in the grace of God if you're not a conduit of that grace. And when we have scars, when we have damage, that creates a root of bitterness. And when we can't administer grace to those people, then we're not free to experience the complete grace of God. We're held back. It's why Jesus' only commentary on the Lord's Prayer, after he gave it, the very first thing he chooses to make a commentary on is forgive us as we forgive others. And he says, if you are unwilling, if you can't forgive others their transgressions, then you can't fully experience God's forgiveness. It's not that he's not willing. It's that you're not willing. If you're not willing to relinquish your desire to see others punished. I know, (laughs) because I've got some. There are actually specific people that are coming to some minds here. You'll be going along, and all of a sudden a situation will come into your thinking, and you'll relive a conversation that was part of one of the great disasters of your life, and you'll be right back in it again. Those are the things we're talking about now. And God's solution to moving past them into fully experiencing the life he has with you, the journey that God's called us to, is for you to be able to forgive. Look at Ephesians 4, verse 32. Be kind and compassionate, forgiving one another, just as in Christ God forgave you. Now, I just want you for a moment to help me when it says we are to forgive one another in the same way God in Christ forgave you, how would you describe the forgiveness we have in Christ? How did God in Christ forgive you? Lavishly. Lavishly. Wow. What's that? Sacrificially. Sacrificially at his own expense. What else? Fully. Completely. Unconditionally. That's divine forgiveness. Those four characterizations alone are worth us looking at and recognizing that we are to forgive those that have caused the greatest pain in our life in the same way God forgave us in Christ. He forgave us lavishly. He forgave us sacrificially. He forgave us completely, fully, unconditionally. That's our standard. Now, for some of us, there's nobody to call anymore about that pain. They're dead and gone. It's not something you can ever really make right, except in your own spirit. But for others of us, there are people that a phone call might be required, at least to know that we have done everything on our part to try to make things right. You can't, you know what I'm talking about, those of you that have been really wounded, who have this fantasy that someday the people that wounded you are going to come back. Maybe they'll start by friending you on Facebook. Safe little place. Friend. (laughs) Then maybe a little note. Maybe they'll start liking some of your pictures, little comments. And someday they're going to say, I just want to talk to you. I was so wrong. (laughs) What we want is justice. You're just not going to get it. It's not realistic. And there's no requirement in Scripture for someone to seek our forgiveness in order for us to give forgiveness. And when you wait for somebody else to take the step, 
What you are doing is choosing to be imprisoned by their lack of action. And the Bible doesn't give you that as an out. You need to take the step and forgive. God deserved justice from our betrayal of him. And how did he get it? He achieved his own justice through Christ, not through you and me, not through our misery, but through his own sacrifice. That's the model. That's the standard. If you can get there, if you can release those pains, you can release people who have wounded you from your need and desire to see them punished, then you'll be set free to run in grace. Third area, just quickly, idols. We bring idols into our journey with Jesus, just like the children of Israel brought idolatry into their journey with God. But our idols typically are not real shrines. Our idols are the objects of our great affection. That's a great way to define an idol, an object of great affection that competes with your affection for God. So what are some things in modern times that we would call idols? Smartphone. Smartphone? (laughs) What's that? Our time, where we use our time, sure. Money. Money. Money's a big idol. Facebook. Facebook. Oh, that's interesting. I think of Facebook as a mission. Sorry. It's, <laughs> it's just me. You're right. We can, we can lose ourselves into it. Yeah. What else? Sorry? A relationship, family, hobbies. Vacation homes. Not that any of those things are wrong to have. The issue is how much of your affection do they own? Do they rise above your love for God? And all you need to do is look at how much time and attention and energy you put into it compared to your time, attention, and energy with your walk with God, and you'll get your answer. And if you're willing to look at it that way, you'll realize you've got lots of idols. And the path to freedom from those has always been love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. Love God with your whole being above all of them. There's a reason why the very first commandment is no other gods before me. You could argue that the whole Ten Commandments is about idolatry. The nine that follow are just various forms of it. When I was a youth pastor, I was at a a church down in New Jersey that was a very fast-growing church. We had lots of people coming to Christ, and one of the guys that came to Jesus, his name was Ken, and he was a bass player at the time for a very popular club band in New York City by the name of Twisted Sister. The first time he came to church, he was sitting in the fourth row, and he had this bright orange hair that just stuck up all on one side, and, and Ken came to Christ, and it was interesting watching him grow, and because I was sort of the musician of the church, Ken and I struck up a relationship, and Ken actually started playing with me. It was really wild, because I was sort of this little folk artist with my guitar, and I'd be singing along, and um, everybody would be looking at Ken, because he'd be over there going, <laughs> I just got dizzy. For the first two years that Ken was a Christian, he stayed with the band. Couldn't let go of it. Just so you understand, this is a band that dressed like transvestites, and the lead singer spewed vulgarities and obscenities as part of, part of the show. You think of, like, we're not going to take it anymore in those top hits. But this is one of the most vulgar bands in, in history. 
And there was a point where Ken came and said to me, last night I was on stage, and I said to myself, I'm quoting Ken, what the hell am I doing here? Finally kicked in. This was one area that he loved so much, and he had reached a point in his relationship with God where he had to let go of it in order to embrace Christ more fully. And it was about a year after that that Twisted Sister had its big hit. They hit it big. I think Ken hit it bigger because his relationship with God skyrocketed when he let go of the thing that he cherished above everything else. What does God want to convict you of and and have you put him above? Just quickly, fourth, habits and patterns in our lives. Habits and patterns are are those things that, that aren't exactly sin. They might cause sin, There are ways that we look at the world, and I don't mean habits as in addictions. I mean habits as in the way we go about our life, patterns that that we're comfortable with, our belief systems, and I'm not talking about your Christian doctrine. I mean your belief about people, about life in general, about America, about culture. We all develop these belief systems that are crafted by every experience we've ever had, both good and bad. Whether you remember it or not, your mind is shaped by every single experience you've had from the moment you were born, probably in utero. It has created a filter through which you look at the world. Every experience, every conversation, everything you see passes through this filter before you even consciously begin to contemplate it. So in other words, these belief systems, these filters that you have taint what you're listening to and what you're thinking about before you even are able to process it. We look at a person and decide if we like that person or not very quickly. Why do we do that? Because we immediately assign to that person qualities of somebody else in our past that this person reminds us of. See, we have all of this stuff, all these filters that affect us and we don't see them because we're so used to them. In terms of these other areas, you could pretty quickly say, all right, I'm pretty much aware of what I'm guilty about. Uh, I'm aware of my scars. I'm aware of my idols. But you are the last person to be aware of your patterns of thought and your filters and your habits. That's what other people see in you. They see it more than you do. So it becomes a very difficult thing for us to address. And I promise that sometime in the next 12 months, we're going to do a series about growing through and learning to see these patterns in our life that hold us back. We call them blind spots, and we all have them. Trigger points, hot buttons, we all have them, and they're not about sin. So when as Christians we say it's all about what you believe and what you're being convicted about, we're missing out on a very important part of our spiritual formation that Romans 12, 2 speaks about. Do not be conformed any longer to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Three words in Romans 12, 2 that matter here. Conformed, you've heard it said, don't fit the world's mold. But more actively, it means don't fall into the pattern of the world around you. Don't fall into its patterns, just like all of us have patterns. Then he goes on and says, be transformed. That's the Greek word metamorphosis, which happens to be an English word as well. And then the third word is the renewing of your mind. And the Greek word for renewing, anakaino, means renovation. 
Paul is saying we need to stop falling into the world patterns. And the only way that's going to happen is by renovation of your mind. We think Romans 12, 2 is about changing what I think. What it's really about is changing how you think. And in Ephesians 4, Paul goes on and says, if you're going to attain this life, you have to stop thinking the way you used to. And then he goes on and explains what that looks like. It's so important that we become students of these assumptions, these filters, these experiences that create our way of looking at the world. Open ourselves to letting others speak truth and love to us and help us see these things that we're blind to. I I know I just probably opened up more questions about that than I answered, but then the the fifth thing I want to talk about is we're going to call it spiritual souvenirs. This is the baggage you pick up on the journey. Things that we collect as part of our spiritual adventure with Jesus that are probably good, our spiritual accomplishments, ministry accomplishments, they can actually get in the way. How do you know when the things you're collecting as a Christian are no longer helping you move forward in your journey? I'll tell you how. When you're talking more about what God did than what God is doing and what you're expecting him to do. Sometimes some of us just achieve a certain level of God's working and Satan convinces us that this is good, you've done good, now let's just hang here for a while. And you start riding on those past accomplishments and you can stall out in your journey, feel like you've arrived someplace with all you've accomplished. And that's a problem. Because as we've learned these last couple of weeks, you never arrive on this side of eternity. You're always meant to be growing. Spiritually, we are no more alive than what God is doing in us right now. Not yesterday, not a year ago, not last week. Spiritually, you're no more alive than what God is doing in you right now. And you are only on the journey related to whatever step you are taking in Christ right now. That's why in Philippians chapter three, and this is where we're gonna close, Paul says, and let's say it together, forgetting what is behind, straining toward what is ahead, I press on. Now, this is a well-known verse, but what I'm talking about right now, the spiritual souvenirs, those spiritual accomplishments that can weigh us down and keep us from going forward, that happens to be exactly what Paul is speaking about in this passage. He begins this segment by listing his spiritual souvenirs. Let me just read it. If anyone else thinks he has reasons to put confidence in accomplishment, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews in regard to the law, a Pharisee. As for zeal, persecuting the church. As for legalistic righteousness, I was faultless. That's a pretty good list from a Jewish perspective before Christ. But whatever was to my profit, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything in my past loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things and consider them rubbish that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God and is by faith. I have one ambition alone, and that is to know Christ 
and the power of his resurrection, the fellowship of his suffering, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow to attain the resurrection of the dead. Not that I have already gotten there or obtained all of this or have been made perfect, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what's behind, straining toward what is ahead, I press on to the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. This is a man who's nearing the end of his earthly journey. He will soon be martyred for his faith. And he understands that with all that God has done in the past, none of it matters. All that matters is what's in front of him. And it's the same goal it always was. I want to know Christ. So when we start celebrating our little spiritual resume, that becomes an idol. What matters is that you're moving on right now into the next thing God has for you that brings you closer to knowing Christ Jesus, your Lord. That's the journey. I've covered a lot, but we're going to pray. Let's close. Father, I, I know that we've uh, covered a lot of topics, some of them probably pretty emotional uh, for some people here. And, but I pray that you've opened up hearts to at least awareness of the things that may be holding them back in their complete pursuit, their wholehearted pursuit of following Jesus into grace, into life to the full, life abundant, life eternal. And I especially pray for those here who have this day committed to forgiving themselves in the same way you've forgiven them, or others in this room that need to forgive someone in their past, some that may need to make a phone call today, grab a cup of coffee, make things right, administer grace. Father, whatever it is that's holding each of us back, we ask you to free us from it. And we promise as you bring it to our attention, we will do everything we can to move past it as Paul did. Forget what lies behind and reach forward with one ambition alone, and that is to know Christ. In Jesus' name, amen.